Shalom. I'm recording this on holiday. I'm in the middle of uh, uh, nowhere, actually, in Bosnia. I'm having a great time. And I was reading, uh, the only book I brought with me on this holiday was an amazing book uh, called Nishmat HaMishnah, The Soul of the Mishnah, by Rabbi Yaakov Nagen from Yeshivat Otniel. And he really has this whole sensitive way of reading the Mishnah, which I think will be the basis for many of my upcoming shiurim. So what I want to do today is, is a little bit backwards, a little bit different to the way I usually teach. Usually I have a source sheet and I, uh, I work from that and I teach and I get some feedback and then I turn this into an audio summary. Today I want to do the opposite. I want to just record some of my thoughts here and hopefully this will become a source sheet afterwards um, and what I want to do I just one of the readings of the Mishnah of, of Rabbi Yaakov Nagen reminded me of another shiur I, I heard uh, in the past from Rav Ovadia Yosef so two great rabbis um, and I thought I could read these two things in conjunction with each other and maybe even say something new myself or suggest something <laughs> standing between giants um, so let, let's do a few readings we're going to basically read a few uh, texts from the Mishnah and from the Talmud which all have in common a theme which is um, they mention the idea of children of kings, children of royalty. What do we call them? Princes, princesses, royalty, right? Um, and this comes up in all sorts of unexpected contexts, uh, uh, in halachic contexts, okay? So what, let, let's start with the first text. first text is from the Tractate of Brachot. It's actually the second paragraph, the second Mishnah in the entire Mishnah itself, um, and it has to do with the reading of the Shema, the reciting of the Shema in the morning. And there's a little debate about when to begin the rec recitation of the Shema. Um, there's two opinions brought here in the, in the Mishnah. One, mi one opinion is that you can start reading the Shema from when there's enough light to distinguish between blue and white between actually trelet, it's kind of sky blue and and white and Rabbi Eliezer says no there's an even finer distinction you have to have enough light to distinguish between uh, sky blue and green okay we won't go into the... Rabbi Nagain has an amazing reading of what's going on here. <laughs> Who cares about these, uh, these two? But uh, what's interesting for us is the ending, right? When, do you, when, do you f when can you finish reading the Shema? When's the last possible moment to finish reading the Shema? And remember, the Shema is meant to be said on waking up, right? It says, um, Uvekumecha. Right, you read it 
when you get up in the morning. So when is that? When do you get up in the morning? So we know the earliest time. The earliest time is when there's a bit of light in the sky. The end of uh, the reading of the Shema, the, the Mishnah says, is with um, sunrise. Okay, as soon as the sun rises above the horizon, that's the end of reading the Shema. And then there's a divergent opinion, Rabbi Yoshua Omer. Rabbi Yoshua says, until three hours into the day, till three daylight hours, right? So if the sun rises at six o'clock, you can read it until nine o'clock. Why? Sheken derch bnei melachim la'amod shot. The the habit of the children of kings is to wake up after three hours of daylight. Right? And that's considered to be particularly indulgent. Everyone else, all the workers, wake up at sunrise or even before. And that's the proper time for, for, for saying the Shema. But Rabbi Yoshua says, no, the children of kings, they wake up much later. And that that's significant halachically. Okay. Now, let's keep that in mind. I don't want to go into it, but it it will become stranger as we look um, in the Talmud at a collection of three different halachot, um, which all bring in this idea of. Uh, uh, children of kings okay and they're a bit strange so bear with me the first one has to do with muktzeh muktzeh is uh, this idea that on shabbat you're only allowed to touch things that have a purpose on shabbat right if, if something is kind of outside of your shabbat consciousness then you can't even touch you can't even move it on shabbat okay so all sorts of things like money and everything you don't you don't move it on shabbat because it has no purpose on shabbat um, and when it comes to do with food, food can be moved on Shabbat because it has a purpose on Shabbat. But some foods can't be eaten by humans, but can be eaten by animals. And the idea is that if something can be eaten by animals, then it can be moved on Shabbat. Okay, so all sorts of things like, uh, I don't know, leftover bones after your meal, you can move them because they're relevant to Shabbat because animals can eat them. Um, and we have this opinion of Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel, who says that shards of glass, you know, bits of broken glass, can be moved on Shabbat. They're not muktzah. Why is that? It's a bit strange. Why? Because they're food for ostriches. Now, I don't know if this is biologically true. No idea. But let's stay with it. Okay? The idea is ostriches can eat glass broken glass, therefore uh, it's possible to move it on Shabbat. You can carry it on Shabbat. Um, and then the Talmud kind of challenges that. and says, well, Who has ostriches? Right? Only children of kings have ostriches and ravens. Right? The, the Talmud goes into all sorts of um, what exotic animals that royalty might have. And they come to the conclusion that Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel considers all the children of Israel to be children of royalty. And therefore, anything that ap applies to, to 
the children of kings, applies to all the children of Israel too. And that, so that's, that's his halachic opinion. Let's put that in our mental connection and move on to a third case. Okay? Um, there's another Shabbat law that uh, you're not allowed to heal. You're not allowed to... Um, how can I say this? To, to Obviously, if, if there's something life-threatening, you're allowed, you have to deal with it on Shabbat, right? But m- minor medical treatments um, are forbidden on Shabbat. Okay, so if it's a minor thing, like a small headache or a small indigestion or, or something like that, um, you're, you're usually not allowed to take any kind of medical treatment on Shabbat for that. Um, and here we have a statement, okay, um, that says you're not allowed to smear rose oil on your wounds on Shabbat except for the children of kings who can put uh, rose oil on their on their wounds because they they anoint themselves with expensive oils all the time okay so rose oil isn't for them it's not a medicine it's just something that they do all the time so they're allowed to do that on Shabbat too and here it says explicitly Rabbi Shimon says all the children of Israel all the Jewish people are children of kings and therefore all the children of Israel are allowed to to, uh, put rose oil on their wounds on Shabbat it's not just uh, specifically real real royalty all the Jewish people are considered like royalty. Okay, let's keep that in mind. Um, and turn to our last case. Okay, and it has to do with the laws of um, debt and paying back debt. And there's, there's a, a thing, if someone owes lots of money and um, the, the court kind of has to take, I don't know, I can't remember what it's called in English, kind of the court seizes their property um, there's a certain amount of honor that has to be kept right not everything can be taken from them they have to have um, reasonable clothes and reason reasonable um, uh, uh, house housing and so on not everything can be taken for for repaying debt um, and there's an opinion that says that if, if they're wearing an expensive cloak, they're wearing very expensive clothes, um, so one opinion says, yeah, the court can take their expensive clothes and, uh, and clothe them with just normal clothes, clothes that anyone else would wear. And Rabbi Ishmael and Rabbi Akiva say no. If someone is is wearing an expensive cloak, then they keep that expensive cloak and it can't be seized by the court because all the children of Israel are treated like children of kings. So they, they're all used to wearing, that. for them that's, that's normal. Okay? Now, 
if you look at the halachic literature, right, if I had a source sheet now, I would have taken these four cases in the Talmud and seen how that, how these four cases are codified. Because all of them, there's, all of them have uh, an argument, right, between uh, one position that's kind of talks about uh, the normal case and one position that talks about being the children of kings. And, and if you look at the halachic literature, how, how that's accepted later on, you see that the last three cases, um, the halacha rules that the Jewish people are not like kings. Okay, so in all these cases, uh, broken glass is not allowed to be moved on Shabbat because people are not like kings. And um, uh, rose oil isn't allowed to be smeared on wounds on Shabbat because people are not like kings and they're not used to smearing rose oil. And uh, if someone's in debt, then the court is allowed to take their expensive clothes and leave them with uh, normal basic clothes. So all of those are dismissed and, and that principle of all the children of Israel are not like, uh, are, are like kings, it's basically rejected by the halacha, except for the first case that we looked at. And the first case that we looked at was the case of uh, saying the Shema, right? When, when do people wake up in the morning? And uh, um, when we think about when people wake up in the morning, uh, the accepted opinion isn't the one that says, like the halakhic opinion in the end isn't the one that says that it's at uh, sunrise. The halakhic opinion in the end is that it's after three hours in the, into the day. Okay, so three hours of daylight, like when children of kings wake up, that's the time that all Jews can say the Shema. Okay, and what does that mean? Why, why should there be a difference between this principle which is rejected in all sorts of cases and the reading of the Shema? Um, and I'd like to suggest something. Um, that maybe there's a difference between the three cases where it has to do with owning property. Okay, when it has to do with owning ostriches or owning ro rose oil or owning expensive clothing, then reality is that the Jewish people are not like kings. Okay, we know that the, uh, despite what all sorts of anti-Semites say, uh, Jews are pretty normal, right? There's rich Jews, there's poor Jews. In terms of owning things, there's nothing very special about being Jewish. So that principle just doesn't fit reality, right? When it comes to waking up in the morning, yeah? when it comes to waking up in the morning, it's true, still, Jews are very normal people, but there's something about waking up late. I don't know, like I, I love waking up late, so I don't have a chance so much these days, um, but waking up late, there's something majestic, something great about it. There's something really like um, carefree <laughs> and uh, 
as if I'm even audacious about waking up late in the morning, right? And being able to pray late in the morning, like the children of kings, maybe says something about uh, the, the way we pray. And to, to highlight that, so I'd like to take an idea maybe from, uh, we're starting now, it's the, I don't know, it's the end of Av, it's almost the next week is the beginning of Elul, we're starting to think about um, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And there's a prayer that's very associated with that time of year, with Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. It's also said other times of year, on the fast days. Um, and that's the prayer, Avinu Malkeinu, our Father, our King. And no one, no one likes that translation, but <laughs> any, any English speaker, uh, they love singing Avinu Malkeinu and they hate uh, trying to translate. Well, what do I mean like, in terms of gender, in terms of my image of God? with my father, my king, right? But in, instead of looking at the theology of my father, my king, I'd like to look at what it means in terms of the people saying my father, my king. What does that say about us when we say Avinu Malkeinu, right? When we say not just these two separate names of God or attributes of God, but, or relationships to God, we say them together. Okay. Our Father who is our King. That means we are children of royalty. And uh, I'd like to look at one final story from the Talmud. It's a little bit uh, famous about a fast day where um, two rabbis try to Know, cry out before God and uh, it's a fast day because there's no rain right? like many fast days there's an environmental disaster and people are trying to scream out for help and there's a story of Rabbi Eliezer who comes in the synagogue and kind of walks before the ark and recites a huge prayer, right? The, the extended Amidah for times of crisis. 24 blessings. And he says this 24 blessing Amidah and nothing happens. And then Rabbi Akiva comes in the synagogue and he comes down before the ark and he says, Avinu Malkeinu, we have no king except for you. Avinu Malkeinu, for your sake, have mercy on us. And rain starts to fall. Okay? And I'd like to suggest that there's something, just that, that code word, Avinu uh, Malkeinu, I don't know how prayers work, right? I don't know if, uh, if you say a special word, then, then uh, your prayers are answered immediately. I don't think it's like that. But... Maybe there's something of the audacity of saying, yes, I'm coming before God as, the, as royalty coming before royalty. And I'm coming, I'm pleading because uh, I'm, I'm the child of a king, right? 
but I'm not shy. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, I'm not foreign to the royal palace. I'm not foreign to standing before God. I can stand before God uh, in a in a familial way, right? And there's something um, very strong about that. And maybe that's what's going on here with children of kings. So thank you and best wishes from uh, from Bosnia. And I hope to learn with you again soon.